1: hey everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the united states of movie podcast it's what makes mondays worth living for it's the movie podcast by movie fans for movie fans as we try to answer that unanswerable question as we try to pick just one movie to represent each state in these United States. As always, I'm joined by amazing co-hosts. Uh, first of all, Ryan Sandler, welcome back to the show, the man, the myth, the legend. Oh man, it's so great to be here.
2: I, <laughs> I
3: look forward to this every, I know we say it every week, but I look forward to this every week.
1: <laughs> it genuinely is the highlight of every weekend for me. And of course, our resident filmmaker, our writer and resident movie nerd, Will Hirsch. Welcome back to the show.
4: Great to be here, Uh, excited to do our first challenge episode.
1: That's right. Yeah, we are doing a challenge episode because our very first episode we went for California. Why wouldn't we? There's only about 4,000 movies to choose from. But despite that, we managed to accidentally all pick LA based crime heist movies, which is ridiculous considering the size of California and the amount of places that you can make movies. So while I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, uh, she is from California and she decided that she wanted to bust the myth that L.A. is the only place that movies are made. So she has joined us for our first challenge episode, bringing two movies. But first of all, let's just welcome her to the show. Carrie Byron, welcome to the United States of a Movie.
0: Hello. I'm also. i I'm also a film nerd. I mean, I my, one of my first jobs was in a video store, so I spent a lot of time watching and rewinding movies.
1: Uh, this is why, like, you were perfect, because I said Carrie and I were just catching up, and uh, I mentioned, oh, I'm doing this movie podcast, and I just threw out the question, oh, if you were on the show, like, you know, what movies would you pick? Within literally 60 seconds, she sent a list of movies that made me go, oh my God, do you want to be on the show? <laughs> because these movies are amazing. And the funny thing is that the list of 10 then became a list of five, then became a list of two. And then the next day she goes, I'm changing my mind. And the two movies that you picked were what, Carrie? What are you bringing to try and take down our champion?
0: Well, I wanted to do sort of a Northern California, Southern California mix. So I picked Basic Instinct um, for a... Modern genre. Well, I guess it's not modern anymore. I know. My youth <laughs> version of Vertigo, which is mm. Basic Instinct, mm. and the the you know that that era did an interesting twist on Basic or on on Vertigo, which is with Basic Instinct, and the Kim Novak became Sharon Stone, who actually lives in San Francisco. So I I, I thought that might be kind of a fun. Really long discussion. It's, it's to
3: have. exactly like Vertigo, but way more horny. <laughs>
0: yeah, yes, but with such great outfits. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> stunning! Oh, all the,
1: all yeah, the outfits stunning. are amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Carrie, being from San Francisco, has kind of brought San Francisco to play. So she's of course talking about the 1992 movie Basic Instinct, directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, Jean Triplehorn. Um, it is, uh, from that time, you know, the 2000, 2010s have like been dominated by the, the MCU. This is part of the, uh, the MDCU, the Michael Douglas cinematic universe back in the nineties, where you put Michael Douglas in a movie with a, with an A-list actress, and then you put sex in the middle. So if it's not fatal attraction with Glenn Close or disclosure with Demi Moore, it's basic instinct with Sharon Stone. Oh, yeah. Basically Michael Douglas just humping the whole of Hollywood. And that's what everyone was like.
0: You want to go see the new Michael Douglas movie? He's going to have sex with somebody else. Yeah, I miss anybody the... with Michael, like all all of the movies with Michael Douglas, like The Game. Like there's so there's oh, so yeah. many. so good from that era. Yeah. I miss insane.
3: that era of like erotic thrillers of the 90s, like Sliver is another one, or like mm-hmm. The Sandlot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic erotic yeah, thriller. That was, but hot. man, was hot. but you meant... <laughs> I mean the the lifeguard scene alone. Come no, but I mean that those those like that erotic thriller genre just kind of went away. Like you don't really see those oh, type of movies anymore. We
1: are like, we are going to get into that because we now live in in a point in history where movies don't have sex scenes, whereas whole yeah. movies were based over sex in the '90s. So we're going to get back to that. The other movie, uh, Carrie, that you bought is something that I i am so excited to talk about because it's something i've been wanting to do in this podcast which is representations of a state in a different state be it an alternate reality alternate dimension or alternate timeline what is the other movie that you brought to the table
0: okay one that's near and dear to my heart and probably it, it's like one of the top movies of all time blade runner mm. yes
1: when, when you when you said that carrie i mean like like i already like you so much the fact that you said blade Runner, i'm like you are just yeah. as much of a nerd as I thought you were. Blade Runner. Oh, my goodness. One of the it's greatest It's in LA. It's exactly. It's set yeah. in Los Angeles. It says it on a title card right at the beginning. It's a definitive California movie. Yeah,
3: I've said that before. I love when a movie just clearly states what state it's in <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of the film. So you're not confused. Yeah. Well,
1: it did that with Blown Away, like you were saying. It yeah. um, just said just Boston,
3: USA. USA, just in
1: case you yeah. forgot. Yeah. So in this Blade particular, Runner
0: is LA. 2019. 2019,
1: <laughs> yes, we're going to the future of a few years ago. <laughs> um, the Ridley Scott directed movie starring Harrison Ford, Sean Young, Rutger Hauer, Edward James Olmos, Daryl Hannah, and many, many, many others. Uh, a truly iconic movie, misunderstood in its time. So Carrie bought two noir movies, basically, to take down last time's champion. The last time we went to California, we decided that Point Break was the most California movie of them, all the 1991 movie directed by Catherine Bigelow, Patrick Swayze, uh, Keanu Reeves, Gary Busey, Laurie Petty. Um, so i tell you what, this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with last uh, episode's champion. Um, so Carrie, Point Break, when I first mentioned Point Break, your first uh, message back to me was, oh my God, I love that movie. So let's uh, talk about your memories of the movie, your relationship with the movie, how you feel about Point Break.
0: I mean, first of all, it's a babe fest, and it was oh. during like my coming up years. It's Kinnan, Patrick, please. Um, I wanted to be Lori Petty because she's so cool, and we also um, we we busted some Point Break myths on MythBusters. So I've all I've already taken this movie apart for not just its scenes but its effects and the possibility that you can catch somebody jumping out of a plane. I jumped out of a plane to see if you could do that. <laughs>
1: That's maybe the coolest story I've ever heard. So so, so go on about busting that myth. You jumped out of a plane. Is it possible to catch another person when you jump out of a plane?
0: Well, so so a human has a terminal velocity of about 120 miles an hour. Um, And we had to figure out if he dove straight down, could he catch Patrick Swayze? Because if you're just flying like this, it slows you down. But if you go like this, you can get much faster and catch him. So did you not see that episode?
2: Uh,
1: i I say it again. I've watched a lot of Myth Mythbusters, That I'm like, I don't Definitely. think I've seen that episode.
0: <laughs> oh, it was so fun. We did a bunch of green screen with um, Tori and Grant pretending to jump out of planes. And then I actually jumped out of a plane and I filmed myself the whole time. It was... Awesome. The now, funny you- part is, um, halfway through that episode, I cut my long hair to here and dyed it bright pink. <laughs> so they had to try to cut around the oh, fact no. that I looked entirely different from the beginning to the end.
1: Oh, the editors loved you on that episode. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> well, It was kind of, we, we kind of liked messing with them because we're like, it's reality. Shouldn't this be real? Like... Uh-huh. We should just film it right.
1: I like it. I think that's why everybody, uh, like, you know, people love Mythbusters. You know, I was just talking to my father-in-law. He goes, oh, Carrie was my favorite on Mythbusters. I'm like, no surprise there. But the fact is that <laughs> the boys do green screen and you jump out of a plane. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so- okay, that's, the, that, that's not how it usually goes. It's just, Tori, um, here is a little funny thing about him is he will do anything he will be buried alive he will be uh put into a coffin with snakes he will he will do anything but he's scared to death of heights oh man that's the one that is his one Achilles heel see I'm scared of
1: heights too but I feel like I would jump out of a plane because heights get to a point where you're like well once you're over 30 feet (laughs) what's the difference (laughs) it's like either way
4: it's gonna hurt see I'm I'm the opposite Swayze says you
3: don't you don't want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane
2: (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs)
4: I'm the opposite of Tory. I uh I have a fear of everything. So I wouldn't be doing any of that, you know. <laughs> but you have no a fear, fear of movies,
1: Will. Will knows more <laughs> about movies yeah, than almost right. anyone I've ever it's met. The only
4: thing I'm not afraid of, yeah.
3: He <laughs> loves fear, cape fear, fear and loathing, all the, the whole the whole fear series.
0: I mean yeah. me too. Me too. <laughs> so,
1: I mean, but when you said, you know, that you love point break I mean for me. When I, I think that's the one that's the one I that I brought to the table last time we did California. And for me it was the movie that was to me, as a British guy born in Asia, when I thought California, I thought point break. You've got surfing, you've just got like Surf Noir. Yeah. You've got the whole vibe. You've got like it, just the way the sun is setting. You've just got Keanu Reeves. It just and like, you know, for me, what I love about this movie is that it's, it's you know, because we're going to get into the problematic female characters or the way that they are approached in the other two movies. Then in this one, we have got directed by a woman and we're kind of shooting eye candy, like male eye candy, because like, you know, Patrick Swayze is just Patrick Swayze. Keanu Reeves in that wet T-shirt right at the beginning. I'm not gay, but a little gay part of me inside mm-hmm. is going, these men, yeah. they are
3: hot. It's like, what if you took the entire volleyball scene from Top Gun and just built an entire film around that? Why aren't we doing that more? Yes,
0: yes. With like really cool detectives and like the bad, they're both Mm -hmm. bad boys. And, you know, we love that. And Gary Busey. (laughs) And Gary Busey. I mean, and the red hot chili peppers. Yes.
1: Yes. So what's, what's the scene like, you know, if I say point break to you, what's the, what's the first scene you think about from that?
0: Oh, I, uh, I really, uh, oh my God! Why did you just do that to me? Because the first scene was this, like him and Laurie Petty making out.
3: Uh-huh. Oh, the the night surfing scene. Yeah, that's, that
0: that's, was yeah, that
3: funny. was hot. Yeah. I, oh no, but they get this is this is why
1: I'm fantastic. I love bringing bringing new perspective. <laughs> Took to we on that last yeah. We love. I we mean,
0: thought, that we, shouldn't have been the first thing I thought of. It should have been like when they're sitting around the fire, or, like Isn't there's me? so like a yeah. fight scene a with question. with with yeah. No, I actually didn't rewatch this movie, character. but I remember it really well.
1: <laughs> yeah. For you, yeah. you liked the, the the slightly horny scene when they're out. He's learned how to surf at night. Laurie's sort of shaking. He's kind of talking. He's trying to describe the feeling of, of just feeling so free. And she's like, You don't need to explain yourself to me. I completely understand. But I it's see. like, Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like what I like about it is that we got into it a little bit last time is that, you know, is that Laurie Petty's character. Uh, in in this movie is in no way a damsel in distress at any point even when she's in distress she's like a caged animal mm-hmm. you know when you get that video that she's been kidnapped you know and she's she's been gagged usually at that point in a movie you see some poor woman and she's crying and she's helpless whereas she's the look in her eyes is pure murder she is gr- like absolutely growling at the guy behind the camera and I'm like she is like she is a tough character, man. Like I, that's why I always dug her character because she's just like
3: so capable, just as capable as everyone else in the movie. I love she that they went against go, type too. Yeah, tank exactly. Yes, <laughs> and also in the army now apparently. <laughs> but, uh, the Holly Shore movie that no one saw. Well, she was also supposed to be in Demolition Man. We got into that. She oh, she right. kind
1: of got like her career. She was one of those ones that got kind of dis- disrupted by. Um, that awful movie producer, what's his face? The guy that's gone to jail forever for me too. Are you butts. Yes. That guy, um, is that yeah, 30
4: different producers, by the way. Yeah, just,
1: yeah. No shit.
4: Um,
1: yeah. Lori, Lori Petty in this movie, I thought she was, she was so good, so strong, but like for me, I, again, so we always talk about on this podcast, the part of the joy of doing this is rewatching movies, um, with fresh eyes. And so we were just joking right before you logged on about, you know, how we we're watching Point Break again. The last time I watched it was 15 weeks ago. But even then, watching it again, I'm watching it with new eyes. And for me, it's always just even the first five minutes of the movie with the music that's playing, the slow motion shots of the guys surfing, then I'm just like, Catherine Bigelow. That's like, for me, I think where as a young man, I was like, I love anything that Catherine Bigelow does from now on. For me, it was like this sort of stamp for me of just like, look at this movie. It's, there's no movie like it as soon as it starts I get all the happy feelings of ah oh, beautiful I'm going to watch Point Break it's so
4: good it's all it's right. one of those it's one of those movies I think it's the time when she like really found herself as a director because if you watch like her earlier stuff like Near Dark she's really kind of like mimicking James Cameron because obviously that's she was running with that crowd at the time and it's all of James Cameron's actors are in that movie um but then you get to strange days and then she's getting like her style more like down which is a great movie but it's still a little rough around the edges when it gets to point break she's like okay i've got my style i've got like you know she's now understands like everything about being a director and a filmmaker and it just worked so well strange
3: days was before point break
4: yeah yeah that's awesome yeah that's it's that's a great that's a great random movie yeah Uh, ray fines
1: right sexy ray fines um but yeah, I mean, just opening five minutes does it does all the work for us, you know. Establishes Bodie as just this guy that likes to surf. We barely sort of almost mystical because you don't quite get to see him because it's not Patrick Swayze surfing. But then you know it's juxtaposition with Keanu Reeves, young, sexy, and amazing
3: at shooting. You know, I'm not going to say <laughs> the young, dumb, and full of calm line. I had that <laughs> perfect opportunity. That How opening shot that? though, like that that opening oneer. I know there's like whip pans, but I I had to watch it twice. Just to see him walking through the police precinct. Yeah. Getting screamed at. I'm like, this is an insane walk in talk setup where they're they're moving through this office and cameras whipping around and it's, it's awesome. that's
1: actually one of the first first instances of that actually. So they they had the steady camera. I remember like they talked about that, that particular scene and how it's very West Wing adjacent. Like the whole mm-hmm. of West Wing is yeah. walk and talks like that, and they're just going through the thing. And eh. and yeah, I was watching that one as well. But it's like I remember, like, is it John C. McGinney? Um, is John that, right? yeah. Even mm-hmm. talking about how like how they would, you know, had to do multiple takes of that, and like how, you know, it's you've got to time people walking in front of camera and people putting something down in the background. And and I was just watching that because he owns that scene. That's that whole like. Oh. It's the John C. McGinley scene, which is everything you ever see him doing scrubs
3: at the same time. He's cranked to 15. I yeah. loved it. Well, he
1: yeah. always is. And that's why I love that guy. He's like, who are you playing? Me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing yeah. me in a movie. <laughs> yeah.
4: You see, like Highlander 2, he's playing the same character in that movie. And it's mm-hmm. awesome. He's like the only good thing in that movie. Uh, it's incredible.
1: Are they, not re-ma- I, are they remaking Highlander with
3: Henry Cavill? I, I think I read that the other day. I, yeah. think just, I think he just yeah. stole
4: the wig off of the witcher show, yeah. and they're just like well we got to use this so they're going to use it for that I'm on board. I mean, it's one of those movies that's like in perpetual like yeah. hey this is coming out and like the crow you're like trying to remake the crow we got so
1: close. you can't mess with perfection man yeah. that's that's for me is one of the the greatest movies ever made um but when it comes to when it comes to point break it's it's There's so much more to it because it's just not a dumb action movie. It's it's, you know, all of that sort of influence that Catherine Bigelow, I think, has brought to it is that there's a lot of like actual character development, like people grow, people are interesting. I, I like Patrick Swayze's character is just kind of the mystical, the mystical sort of like Bodhisattva. He's just every yoga
3: instructor you've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's like a guru. guru.
1: He's like uh, Paul Rudd's character from um, Saving Sarah Marshall, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. (laughs) It's like, my name's Kunu. (laughs) What does it mean? Chuck.
3: God, God, imagine they could have gotten Swayze to do that. Uh, Oh my God.
1: That would have (laughs) been
2: amazing. But at
1: the same time, he also has that moment where he's kind of on the beach and he's talking about how, you know, in his mind, like Bodhi, he's like, we're here to represent freedom to all those people that are sitting in their cars stuck in traffic every day to show that the human spirit is still alive. And it's that's kind of cool that it's a multidimensional character. In, instead of it just being I rob banks for money, he's kind of like him and those guys, they're always chasing that rush. They're always chasing that, you know, the, the endless summer, as Gary Busey kind of calls it. And it's like can he's put this kind of spiritual sort of narrative to it and i guess my question is to you guys is like
3: do you do you find it authentic or do you think Bodhi's full of shit i think when i was younger i probably am like oh yeah i'd be i'd roll with this crew hard and i just watching it the other night i was like yeah i still would probably <laughs> <laughs> he's saying some pretty smart things still relevant to this day
0: i mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I live at sure the beach with in in a surf community and i i, I um i feel like they they believe that. None yeah. of them are robbing banks, but they are. As far are, as you know.
3: As far as you know. Yeah. As
0: far as I know. But I remember when 9 uh, 11 happened, <laughs> they said, bring up 9 11, really bring it down. <laughs> the first thing every single one of them did was abandon their families and go get in the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Just go, like, oh, going man. down. Just I'm going to be on surf. a wave. Need to connect with the, like, yeah. the Ubers. Oh, I'm just uh, glad I wasn't the first one to bring up a 9/11 joke.
2: I know
0: mean, it wasn't a joke.
1: <laughs> Sorry, putting that on the list of things I didn't know Carrie Byron's gone with a 9/11 reference. There we go. I mean, Good. joke.
3: I mean, co- comment, comment.
1: <laughs> but um, jokes come later in the episode. So. Like, so, so, Will. I mean, like, you know, I think you're out of all of us. You're kind of the youngest. When was I? We talked about it last time. When was your? Did you kind of experience kind of like I did? My first experience of Point Break VHS. You know what I mean? It's like watching it yeah. on this little TV and just having my little, my mind blown. Like, what's uh, your first sort of memory of Point Break?
4: Yeah, I think I, it was definitely a rental for me. Like, I think it was VHS rental. Um, I can't remember really the first time I saw it. Um, it's It was probably one of those movies where there was like a half a dozen that would be like on TNT, like in like regular rotation. So I probably like first saw parts of this movie, like on TV. And then I was like, well, I, I just want to watch the whole thing without commercials or anything. And yeah, I thought it was awesome when it comes to like Bodie's like speech and all that, you know, it's really cool. Um, but also if you stop to think about it, it's like, I I don't know if you guys are like representing, like, you know, or like telling people, like showing people that the human spirit is still alive. It's like, I think it's more, it's really fun to rob banks and silly masks, uh, which is fine. Like that's it's okay, bro. You don't need to justify it with like, This has got universal importance. It's like (laughs) it just looks like it's a lot of fun. It's it's cool. (laughs) We need to oversell it.
3: And it's crazy that this came out years before. It was so funny just thinking we put this and Heat, you know, head to head, and how they're so similar in what they're trying to execute and do, but they couldn't be more different in tone and vibe.
2: Yeah.
3: But like and where ambulance. this one, yeah, and, yeah, that's
1: actually, right. that was such a great sure, cat, sure, sure. the first one sure. It's like they're all the same movie, but they couldn't be more differently approached. Right, but right. Michael Mann, Catherine Bigler, and then Michael
3: Bay in the middle going. But <gasps> but but, but <laughs> Point Break and I to to less two also ambulance is just they're fun movies. Like yeah. I wouldn't consider Heat a fun movie, but I I mean I love it. Don't get me wrong. Oh,
1: it's fun for us as movie but dead. Yeah, it's definitely but not like, like going. Whoo!
3: But Point Break, like you have the dynamic, the relationship between. Between them and all the, all the gang and everything, it's you could see why Fast and Furious was so successful. Taking like, let's just do Point Break with cars, yeah, and that's why that the whole inner dynamic worked. You know, everyone wants to be like the cop getting swept up with the gangsters and becoming one of them and falling in love, and and then you were actually
1: uh, what were we uh, yeah you pointed out. There's another sort of similarity with Point yes. uh, Point Break and Fast and the Furious is they go to that same restaurant on the Nep- Neptune's. Net, yeah, what's it called? That
3: was Neptune's Net.
1: Yeah, you went on a deep yeah. dive. So tell us about that.
3: <laughs> oh, I was I watching Point Break, and I'm like, wait a minute, because I I was talking to Kiana, and I was like, my girlfriend, and I, I was like, there's a scene in Fast and Furious where they meet at this exact same restaurant. I'm like, it can't be the same restaurant, and sure enough, it is. It's just, <laughs> they were both shot there. I'm like, come on. I mean, Fast and, furious, Fast they just, and furious. if no. Lori Petty had turned up in
1: Fast and Furious, um, then we man. were playing. <laughs>
3: yeah, she was supposed to play Dom <laughs>
1: It's crazy to think we then had nine sequels to that movie. Can
4: you imagine a universe where we had like nine sequels to Point Break? I'm like trying that be- to. Yes, yes, I can. Yep. Every <laughs> <be> night, phenomenal. <laughs> be riding surfboards in space. It was, It's the movie we were robbed of. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah, me, it's still,
1: there. For me, whenever I think Point Break, I always think, and we definitely touched on this last time, but it's the um, the the foot chase, the oh, the yeah. post bank robbery foot chase is still. <laughs> something that I watch all the time. And I'm like, I've seen other people sort of emulate it. I've seen it pastiched, but no one's ever shot it and edited it in a way that's
3: like for me, basically perfect. And also no one's ever picked up and thrown a dog at another person. (laughs) And then that person drop kicks the dog. (laughs) I spit my drink out seeing that again because the sound effect of it is so jarring. Yeah, <laughs> and then, then it just keeps going for another ten minutes. That
0: gets me right here. As a dog person, I'm not I'm not a fan of that part. No,
3: I, it's just it's just it's so jarring to see. Like he turns the corner and he just hucks this dog at him, this, and it's like, shot so pimple. well. Yeah,
2: it's shot so catches. well because you got
1: real dog on this shot, and then you got fake dog for the punt. Yeah. But that's kind of what I mean is that the edit of it all is. And for example, is like that whole scene that is not Patrick Swayze. That is like his stunt double is is doing that. But I, it's Ronald Reagan. It's, it's Ronald Reagan returning to the movie realm, took a break after his time in the White House to shoot Point Break, fact that a lot of people don't know. But that that scene, the momentum of that scene just feels like a boulder rolling downhill. Yeah. And it, I find yeah. it one of the, the, the best, best action scenes where yeah. what's the action running? It's like Tom Cruise. <laughs> just, just two Tom Cruises
3: running. And that's where he got it from?
1: That's 100% where he got it from. Um <laughs> What what Carrie? More, more more from you? More from your Point Break memories? Like when you think of Point Break, do you think of it as an action movie? Do you think of it as a as a sexy boy movie? Do you think of it? What do you think of it as?
0: I I mean I saw it in the theater, and um, I've always been massively in love with anything noir, and I think of it as surf noir.
1: Surf noir. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so
1: jealous you saw this in theaters.
0: Mm. I mean. You're jealous I'm much older than you.
1: <laughs> and, look, and yet look so much younger. <laughs> so, yeah, what was the theatrical experience like? So, so tell us about that. I mean, like, you know, going to the theatre, what was your thought? What, As what a teenage expect-
0: girl with her girlfriends giggling, eating popcorn and getting ice cream after? Yeah, I tell mean, me. It really was. It was just fun. It was really, really fun. I mean, the, the, it, the, I, I, it took you know, going to college and film studies and 20 years to, to go back and really appreciate it with with the eye that I have now, because back then it was just fun. And now I'm picking apart the scenes and it makes me, it makes me want to make movies.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. So what, what is um, your perspective? How has it changed? So teenage Carrie went and saw, you know, which one of the boys were the ones that you were like gushing over, but then also now when you watch the movie, what are the, what's the things that you appreciate about Point Break?
0: I mean, I'm very nostalgic for the era before the cell phone and mm. there was just the the feeling of mystery and the, the fact that you couldn't make that movie today. Um, it just, it would be so different. I just, I, I always loved that sort of flawed cop genre, um, but I appreciate it more now where I understand, I guess, uh, the flaws that come with age. <laughs> There's just much more complexity than I saw back then. Back back then it was really just seeing a a cop movie that was very cool, but now I can pick it apart with you guys and really nerd out.
1: (laughs) Well, I like that you bring that up because we've talked about that before as well as about a movie that you watched when you were younger and you're like, you're rooting for one particular character. And then when you grow up, suddenly you're like, those kids are being stupid. They should have listened to the parents. Like wildly irresponsible. (laughs) It's kind of like Gary Busey's character, I find... I understand more now. Whereas when I'm watching it younger, I'm like, "Come on, old man! Yeah. Like this guy wants to solve the crime." Whereas he's like, "Keanu, you know,
3: he just wants, wants his meatball sandwiches. Man, he wants <laughs> to sit in his car, eat his meatball sandwiches, and
1: read and read Calvin
3: I, and Hobbes." I was watching that. I'm like, "How is he going to operate after eating those two sandwiches? I have to take a nap." Like, saying, he's not going on a foot chase. He's going like, <laughs> he's, he's not. A mess. Keanu, you go run
4: after that guy. Yeah. I'm going to go drive. The he car. wanted two. He wanted two of those sandwiches. That's right. Give me two. <laughs> Should have gone three. Like
0: basic Instinct. The first time yes. I watched that, Michael Douglas seemed like a character I was sort of rooting for, but now I'm like, he is a vile, sad, weak little man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Carrie and I, like, we would text very often. So the guys as well will always text as we're watching the movies. So I just, uh, I sent Carrie like a, a, um, a comment about our Basic Instinct, and we realized we're both watching the movie and we're only about five minutes apart by coincidence. Nice. So we were kind of, kind of live texting the movie. And uh, that's definitely something that that's a hundred percent. We're going to get into that in a second, because that is such a, I had exactly the same experience uh, at watching that movie. And that's the interesting thing is that Blade Runner is the same as well. Another thing that Carrie and I were texting about, but point break is something that returning to it, it doesn't really change my perspective on anything. That movie is the same as when I watched yeah. it. There's no like, ooh, that's problematic. I mean, like the guys and I have had movies on where, where they're throwing out, um, the, Which the homophobic slur yeah. They're throwing out, you know, all of these, these things that are just so casually done in movies of the nineties and the noughties, just casual homophobia, casual misogyny. And then you watch point break. And it's like, because you've got that touch of a talented female director, that there's none of that. Like, the, the guys are eye candy, but it's never exploitative. Like, Ryan, I think you nailed it, that it's like the scene from, from Top Gun. It's like, you know, men are beautiful kind of thing. The female mm. character is strong. The action is fantastic. There's no instance of going,
2: um, is that
0: character a rapist? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like oh my god yes
2: yeah
1: exactly so yeah, yeah. let's let's do it let's let's segue because we have talk, talk point break for let's let's jump into into basic instinct um an incredible movie i was so excited that you said you wanted to talk about this one because because basic instinct for me is i think um I was, I was chatting with carrie about it is like for me is a movie that is a really great interesting thriller completely overshadowed by the fact that you see Sharon Stone's pubic hair. It's like, if, if you talk basic instinct, everyone goes, oh, the interview scene. The cover of the movie is Sharon Stone with her legs crossed, which is such an, almost just a slap in the face to what, the most yeah. fatal of femmes ever, in my opinion. She is an iconic femme fatale. So why did you, why did you bring basic instinct to the table, Carrie?
0: I mean, uh... It's not because I had watched it recently, but in my mind, I was thinking sweeping beautiful San Francisco views. i was I was thinking of kind of the the set of it all and the fact that you know Sharon Stone does live in San Francisco and she it it brings in this sort of complicated femme fatale of California. I think that the women here are interesting. Mm. They're often very beautiful, very complicated. And also, um, I I just I really like the character conversation around um, the 90s always had these women that uh, played with sexuality. But at the same time, all of the men characters seemed to be out of control. And it was because it was the fault of the woman. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was always, like, they're teasing sexuality or or the fact that they were so hot made it so that these men behaved badly. And I, I just like that conversation. I yeah. think it's it, – we've come so far in society from that place that I, I think it's interesting to look back at where we came from.
1: Yeah, interesting. I mean, like, absolutely, because we were watching the movie and it's like everyone's put on the back – all the male characters are put on the back foot by a woman that says that she likes to fuck. And they're yeah.
3: all like <sighs> – she said, the, she said.
1: She said. She said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, women. She must they, be the killer. It all, yeah. It's it absolutely. But the thing is, that is like literally the theme of all those the, the Michael Douglas cinematic universe movies is Fatal Attraction. Uh, the Glenn Close like seduces seduces him with her sexuality and forces him to cheat on his wife, and then he's like the victim. He's not the victim. Right. He caused that situation himself. And then disclosure. The same sort of thing is that. Michael Crichton book but like uh is that Demi Moore sort of seduces him in it's kind of sexual harassment the wrong way but at the same time there's this that it's very much that gray area that they approach in the movie it's like yeah man but at the same time you did what's that sound is that the sound of you tearing off her underwear you know what I mean so it's like it it, that conversation is is very much there how do you think this one handles it Carrie because this is what this is one of those movies that in retrospect, people are like, man, that's a strong character, but also that's kind of messed up.
0: I, I, I just, I, I, I did not like, I did not like Shooter the whole movie. I, I was so, I, I, I watched this again the whole time with a modern eye, and I thought, wow, this is very different than I remembered yeah. it. This is mm-hmm.
3: a cop who got away with murdering tourists. Yeah, oh, real no times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while on cocaine.
0: I, yeah. <laughs> Taurus he
1: specifically Yeah. and his therapist is basically covering that up who he's also having sex with i mean it's
4: like, this, this is this is like my favorite genre of of like movies from the 90s which is you get somebody like michael douglas who's like not an unhandsome man but he's not you know he, i would not put him at top tier but every woman in this movie wants to like bang him and I just, I—that's such a funny like movie trope. Is just no matter like what's going on, every woman is like, "That's the most attractive man ever." It's and the Jack Reacher energy. We talked about it in the, <laughs> the other episode. Yeah, like you got to yeah. give it to him.
0: He's got a really good voice. See, he that's exactly what great. I was
1: about to say, Carrie. Yeah. Is what is Michael Douglas's voice? Because I was going to counterpoint with Will again. I know Will. I like Michael Douglas is kind of bangable. <laughs> I don't yeah. get why he's not the most. You know, you're right. He's not Brad Pitt, but he's got this weird confidence he's got that look in his eye he's got that Mm. voice he's just got that and you know something i only recently learned is that for me michael douglas has always been a movie star but the thing is because his dad was so famous he wasn't he actually was a producer that while he was you know he ended up producing his way into becoming an actor and like he almost was like well i can't be an actor my dad is that would be ridiculous the the because for me he he lights up the screen to me you know i'm like it's true though i mean he turns up in ant-man i'm like michael douglas love it
0: woo let's go he's always just interesting complex and flawed he's never he's never just a flat character he's Mm. always somebody that has a lot of backstory no matter what he shows up in
3: yeah and i think in this movie in particular that the fact that it's wrapped around this like very uh, like old school crime noir thriller elevates this movie to where some other like erotic thrillers may not like this movie had all the twisty turny bits and even by the end i like i would thought i'd seen this movie before but i think i'd only seen parodies and pastiches of it when i was younger because i was i was far too young to watch this movie when it came out and um frankly i think i still am because <laughs> <laughs> oh boy this is a steamy one
0: I don't well, actually remember all of the sex, which is funny. Like it I, is I, uh, graphic. I was, like, wow! I chose this without yeah. actually watching. That's it. so that's so funny because, like, for me,
1: I remember that my experience of the movie and why, like I said, I was excited to talk about it is because my initial experience of the movie was as I don't know what a fifteen-year-old boy, and I watched it for one very specific reason: there was going to be naked ladies in this movie. But the film nerd in me, as a teenage boy, was like going. Is this movie awesome? I, this movie's really <laughs> good. Hi, Verhoeven, Jan DeBond? Yes. That's the thing. And that, that's what I found so interesting about it. And let's, let's talk on a, on a, a, a bigger scale here, because it's, like I mentioned earlier, is that sex scenes are something that don't turn up in movies anymore. Whereas in the nineties, it was almost like a reaction against the previous generation of, look at us. Look how sexually liberated we are. Movies that we go to the theater, movies that make $300 million. Are sexy thrillers? They just—that's the only thing you get on television right now. And it's like, why have we become so prudish about movies, or are we being prudes? Were they just being like, almost like, look at the tits? You know, back in the day. Why? Why don't we have movies like this anymore? They still make them.
0: They, I know. I'm, so, I'm trying to think. Like we don't. Like
1: I. They just had like there, there Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas. That was one, the one that, came that just out came, came out on, like, yeah. Hulu, and you've had this Wait. movie like The Voyeurs came out on on uh, Prime and things like that they still make them but it's just like it's almost like not it, it felt like the world needed it back in the day or Hollywood told us we needed it it's like what do you guys think about this because I I found it fascinating watching this movie going that was in big screen that was in theaters and that made 300 million dollars and well, okay, cool. He's going down on her right now. And this is like, okay, I guess this is happening. And you <laughs> don't
3: even see Michael Douglas's dick. He <laughs> <laughs> gets so That's quick. the problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, whereas, whereas, whereas right now, is it because, you know, you've got Game of Thrones? You know, you've got Prestige TV is giving us all the nudity and all the sex scenes and stuff. But in movies, it's like nobody's asking for it. Nobody wants it. They did one sex scene in an MCU movie, which was the... Um, the Immortals or whatever it was called. I can't remember that one. The Chloe the Chloe Zhao movie. but um, And everyone was like, that's crazy. Why are they doing that? Nobody wants to watch that.
0: I realize how much we're talking about adult themes and I just need to get rid of... <laughs> I am I'm, I'm also a role model and I, uh. I, need, I, need, I need to change my background. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, I mean, think it's, it's... I mean, it's actually kind of a reaction to... I, I think for a long time movies that had nudity and sex scenes in it were also just very exploitive um especially when you get like 80s and horror movies are like the worst offenders Mm -hmm. of it so i think if you you bring up hard ticket to hawaii i'm gonna slap you (laughs) yeah the greatest (laughs) greatest. um no i just think it was it's a reaction i think filmmakers are kind of like you know they don't want to fall into the same trap that previous did where they you know and this i don't think basic instinct is a real example of this but there was a lot of like Let's just throw nudity in because that will sell tickets. And so I think what you're seeing kind of today is a reaction to like, okay, we don't, we don't need to sell uh, a movie on nudity anymore. Right. Mm. And I, I think there's that. There's also the MC unification of movies. I think there's been a whole generation that have grown up with like, those are the biggest movies, which just inherently don't have sex scenes in them yeah. um, unless they're cool. But you know, like, uh, I, I just think like it's it's kind of a combo of a lot of those things, which is why you don't yeah. see it in theaters as much. You see it more on prestige TV. See, and what I like yeah. that you said
1: there, Will, is like say, let's say a movie sold on the idea of nudity, right? Which, in a way, sort of Basic Instinct no. <laughs> is. But what I love about Basic Instinct is she is the predator; everyone mm-hmm. else is the prey. Mm-hmm. You know that there's there's like you you even said you use the word exploitative. Never like does it feel explosive? She is always messing with people's minds. It's like the power she has of manipulation over Michael Douglas's character
3: is, it's just like a yeah. bored cat just messing with like an <laughs> injured mouse. Yeah, and she's, she knew like everything about him before they'd even met. So she yeah. knew, like she had him wrapped around his finger, but still like even all the twists and turns, I'm like, where's this movie going to go? i It's I- like... It, she I was a modern
0: time. woman. She did the the Googling ahead of time, but she that's did right. the, <laughs>
2: that's, that's
3: good, right. yes. way ahead I've of time. I've got a done.
0: different take on why we needed so much sex in these movies back in that time. Is um it was a really scary time in the the eighties the, and the early nineties where AIDS was running mm-hmm. rampant and um casual sex was dangerous. And I think that there was something that we like to see in movies where we really like to see sort of a reaction to society. And we, we couldn't go out and have a bunch of casual sex in that era because it was scary and it was dangerous and there was consequences. So seeing sex without consequences, except for maybe yeah. murder, um, was, was, was cathartic.
3: Yeah, as yeah. A and Michael Douglas has, a, and Michael Douglas has a line on this where he's talking to his, his, Cowboy partner, where they have this weird cowboy vernacular together, which and is never, which is and never and touched, touched this upon. Theory. And he's like, "Ah, next time I'll wear a rubber." And it's just like, Jesus, <laughs> right yeah, right, right.
2: like what the fuck?
3: <laughs> I was like, hey, "That's such a random joke." He j-. says it like, like two <laughs> times. It's, yeah, it was, this, was so this cop,
4: jarring. This cop in this movie—he's such a horny idiot. Like throughout the entire thing, like it, it was driving me he's crazy. He's a man's man. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I even said, like, I was watching my roommates, and I was just like. This guy's like the worst cop. Like he, <laughs> he's so dumb and just so horny all the time that it's like literally, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, okay, I think I know who did it. And I, I don't think it's that hard to pick up on this. Yeah, but this listen. guy is such a moron.
3: It's clear he's going through some shit. He hasn't had a drink or killed a, a tourist in three months. He's just trying yeah. to explore, you know. He's trying Drug to get out there, he's man.
0: An alcoholic, yeah, he's just a fucking exotic. rad dude. <laughs> he's
3: David Duchovny in the late nineties, and Let he's a go. braggart. Yeah, he's a
0: braggart. It's a, he, he's just like, oh, I think it was of the the of the century, the century, yeah, yeah. yeah
3: yeah,
1: yeah. It was again like, it says that two times i know it's and like, i was like it?
0: that looked pretty i mean yeah.
1: dude it was 90 seconds of foreplay and three seconds of sex bro <laughs> like, i like it She's
0: like it was a start yeah. <laughs> Oh
1: shit! but let's oh, like, let's keep let's keep going on that sort of realm because you know one is like you know he is definitely being just his character is a mess he's a complete mess i don't even think he's the lead character she is yeah it's it's yeah, very much then, that
3: movie. He's definitely then, not the hero. Then you get the curveball of they introduce Roxy like right at the beginning, who looks exactly like Sharon Stone to a point. Amazing I'm like, Wait, casting. Is that, I was like, is that? Sh-? I'm like, am I an idiot? Is that? That's not Sharon. Stone. Is it Sharon? Stone? But then like the 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 double red herring that you think, oh, she's the one doing all of the murders for her, and that goes out the window. Well, God actually, it goes that time. off the bridge.
0: He was vilifying the lesbian was also something that would happen back then because it was this movie is definitely from the male gaze and it was impossible to think that they had a relationship that was Mm -hmm. not for... Yeah. consumption of the male gaze and they it's, went it's out the of cl- their
3: way to make her look so angry in that nightclub scene she's just angrily dancing back and forth like like so this bitch.
1: it's the, the the cliche of the uh yeah of the dangerous lesbian thing is talk about that club scene quickly because <laughs> i because again and i were live texting through the movie oh yeah can we talk like, about that v-neck real quick uh, uh, yeah, yeah that v-neck is sexy and don't that's a sexy <laughs> v-neck yeah. he looked great in that v-neck without a shirt he's the
3: only one i've ever seen pull it off <laughs> he does he pulls the hell out of that v-neck I tell you that much, I'm like, I want to look that good <laughs> That's not all he pulls.
1: <laughs> but it's for me, I was like, is anybody else concerned about the massive lighting rig that is just moving on a robotic arm through the middle of yeah. the dance floor? That is just a lawsuit waiting to happen. It's like, someone's gonna die. I yeah.
0: went to clubs oh. in that era and that's, it, I think we just were a little more dangerous. There was no codes. No. no. <laughs> come on There's no construction codes yeah. and the fact is most of those clubs were underground
3: yeah. men and women <laughs> in the same bathroom not on my watch <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, the, the men's room was
1: lit in that place yeah um, one thing i do want to get into is uh right at the beginning the opening scene of this movie is is a sex scene that turns into a violent murder and i want to kind of like ask you guys if if because we've got Paul Verhoeven Dutch, Jan de Bonn. is he Dutch as well? But we've got two Europeans making this movie. And of course, like in Europe, like nudity is like, it's just, it is. You it's know on commercials. Movie? I mean, yeah. It's just on TV yeah. after nine o'clock. People walk around, they go to the meeting. Whereas in America, people are terrified of yeah. a pair of breasts, but they're completely okay with violence. And I'm like, is this Paul Verhoeven? Because... We've had Robocop on the show before. We've talked about, you know, his other movies that he's gone into really shine a light on hyperviolence and like uh, the idea of understanding America. In In this movie, in that opening scene, is he making that point that at one point we see an ice pit go through a guy's face? Like yeah. it's the effect of it is shocking. And it's, it's still, the only thing people talk about in this movie is the sex
2: yeah
3: <laughs> is he making a commentary
1: on america and american movies
3: you know i mean uh, yeah probably <laughs>
0: <I> mean, <laughs> the audience yeah. i mean yeah. it was, it's
3: a hell I of a that's i mean that's how you open a movie too though like i remember yeah. i was texting you guys i'm like first of all i had for, completely forgotten that verhoeven directed this because <laughs> again i hadn't seen it until much much later and then you see special effect makeup by rob Botine and i'm like special effects like what? What are they gonna I said the do? Same. And then the scene opens. I'm like, oh my god, this guy <laughs> is finally murdered in the face area.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh. yeah. No, I said but the same. Even thing. even better than that is the investigation scene that takes place immediately after, where it's the. I mean, every cop in this is such a dum dum. <laughs> yeah, that, that they're only focused on the the amount of uh, of seed that's
1: oh, all of this yes yeah. so and everyone's crazy. like they guys guys get a look, look at this and <laughs> get, like, get,
4: get a, a load of this looking at it too they're oh like oh
3: check it out like oh. it. i'm just
4: like I, I'll take your word for it. I,
3: I, <laughs> I had only seen, I think I, I remember seeing the parody of this, which was uh national lampoon's loaded weapon one. <laughs> so like I'd seen this movie before ever actually seeing it, but I'd seen the parody first and that movie rules. Everyone should go see it. It's fantastic. Hi. Well, Will, tell, you
1: tell, tell your story,
3: tell your story about the famous
1: scene because he was texting, realizing that he'd remembered it wrong. Oh
4: uh, yeah. So uh, the only scene I, I, this is the first time I've ever actually watched the full movie. Um, but uh before that I had seen the interrogation scene because like everybody in the world has seen the interrogation scene. It's, um, it's my
3: lock screen. <laughs>
4: <yeah>. <laughs> I think I think actually like my film professor uh had shown it to us like rainbow. Uh, frame. <laughs> yeah, pausing <laughs> it. But so that's the only thing I had seen. But also I'm a huge fan of Loaded Weapon One. Uh I've seen it like a bunch of times. And so we're coming up to the scene in the movie, the interrogation, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, why is there only like there's only like three people like four or they only a few people in here why do i remember like there being like 20 people like in this and room like stadium and, seating. And then it clicked. i remember yeah. it. i'm like oh i'm thinking of loaded weapon where there's like
2: <laughs> there. and it
4: cuts and like, they all like lean over like, yeah <laughs> lean the room. it's great i was like oh that's yeah. that's what i was getting it mixed up and with. I, th- I think they
3: also do it in another parody movie that i love F- fatal instinct with Arma- yeah. Armand Asante, which is basically a mashup of this movie, Cape Fear, and just basically every genre movie at that time, and it's just yeah. hilarious.
4: I think, Comedy on Armand Asante.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think honestly, whoever made uh, Loaded Weapon One, if they hear that, will they'll be,
3: th- they'll be flattered. <laughs> like everyone's their version, their version
1: is the definitive
3: version yeah. of that scene. <laughs> and the funny thing about like the the sex scenes in this movie, they are like they are almost violent. They're violent themselves. Like it's very aggressive and graphic and a lot of like open horse mouth kissing, which is
2: yeah. unsettling.
3: It's like Joe yeah. Pesci kissing from casino. It's oh, that, you know, it's <laughs> like,
1: what are you doing? Can, Why are you? Stop. I can, I can only kissing? get so erect. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, Well, there's one scene in particular um, that we have to talk about because it's going to cross over with Blade Runner. Um, but, and it's one that Carrie and I were talking about, but it's, it's the scene that I kind of joked about at the beginning is that, I'm sorry, did our main character just assault a woman? Like with Gene Triplehorn. It's the scene with Jean Triplehorn. So so Michael Douglas's character is being so played with, like, you know, by Shanstone, that within five minutes of her just messing with him, suddenly he's drinking again after three months. Suddenly he's smoking again. And then his first interaction with this woman that he's casually having a relationship, but, or not, you watch that scene again and she literally is saying no
4: yeah and I, he yeah. ignores that and i it's, screamed yikes like uh, like i was alone in the room and just out loud i was like yikes no 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 like yeah
3: uh. and she but even really? addresses it immediately after she's like that wasn't making love that was like but they never explicitly state like oh shit, that was that was sexual assault brother you can't yeah. do that like, and just, just never really glazed sh- right past
1: it a straight up just straight up scene in the movie where everyone's just like oh
3: okay
0: like, and then you know, they're
3: like laying together afterward, and she's just like, Ugh, it's, "It's so boring. gross. It's it was, so it was, gross." Yeah,
0: that, that was one of that was one of those things where I I don't remember that. And when I, I I went back and watched it, I was like, "Okay, this movie is very different. It would not play now. Mm-hmm. It would not <clears throat> play now. Yeah. It would, just would not boring. be like a hero character. He's the villain." Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think, but I don't think then I don't think they're saying he's the hero. I mean, he's the, the anti-hero. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like you know. I think going mean, Verhoeven, looking at his movies, it took people twenty five years to understand um, his uh, Starship Troopers. Like people mm-hmm. completely missed the point of Starship Troopers. Going, this is the creeping idea of American fascism. Everyone's like, oh, that's that bug movie, mm-hmm. and it's like you watch it now, and you're like,
0: this guy was so far ahead of it, and like the way oh, that, I'm gonna have to they, watch that again. I oh, Starship oh, Troopers. Wow, yeah
1: oh my God, Carrie! we'll do it. We'll do live texts with each other because it is, he predicted the future. The idea of citizenship being serviced, the idea of, you know, like there's a very real reason why the blue-eyed white, you know, like white proto-fascist lives in Buenos Aires in Argentina where all the Nazis ran off to. It's like, it's, it's very much like a commentary on the creeping fascism, whereas like 80s was, the excess of eighties and 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 um, capitalism with a capital C. That's why I think because as much as showgirls is just showgirls, I think there's more to basic instincts than than just what people think about. That's why I was so keen to talk about it because it talks about the sort of the the powerful woman because it talks about the the threatening nature of a sexually aware woman to sort of straight men the danger of a bisexual woman or a gay woman and then the idea of like I was saying is everyone's fine with the violence but everyone still talks about the nudity I think I think that Paul Verhoeven was making a bigger point with basic instinct and I think that's why I still agree that like he's like going no this character's a he's terrible
2: he's yeah. like, he's
1: terrible
4: <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting you brought up showgirls because this is the same writer director team yeah. Like, it's as Joe Esterhaus again, and it's so weird because it's almost like they learned all the wrong lessons, like, from Basic Instinct, yeah. and, but all the stuff that didn't work in Showgirls. Um, I really double down on that one. <laughs> yeah, which is an insane... He's also trying to make a commentary in that movie, but whatever it is, I... Yeah, no I, one's I, figured that one out. In
1: 50 yeah, no. years, we're all going to realize and go, Paul
4: Verhoeven's
1: a genius!
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dog food scene makes sense now. I got
0: it. I think sure. it's the same. You know, the Barbie movie just came out, and I think that all of a sudden the studios are all like, we need to make movies about toys. Yeah. And I completely yeah. missed the point of why just that movie is successful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a great point because that's a, the, the article came out like two weeks later. You know, Barbie's heading towards a billion dollars at the time, and Mattel's like, we're going to make 11 toy movies. And I go, hmm. I think everyone was enjoying it because of the female empowerment and the commentary on the patriarchy. But sure, mm.
3: let's make a toy movie. And Hasbro <laughs> walks ha, the, the the executive at Hasbro walks up to a whiteboard, writes down Battleship where the S is a dollar sign, <laughs> <laughs> drops the pen. <laughs> I'm yeah, thinking yeah,
0: dude, My dude, Little dude. Pony is gonna be weird.
3: Oh, dude, weird. I you wish know, <laughs> it. The yeah, yeah, show, <laughs> Yeah, I will My say,
1: because I, you know, I have a, I have a, a daughter about the same age as Carrie's and, but this is like, minus, go back 10 years ago, I'm in Singapore and she was watching the My Little Pony show and I'm like, just me, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm dadding, I'm like <sighs> half asleep on the bed while she's lying and against me watching it, but I'm listening to her and going, this is actually quite funny and then I started watching the show, so actually I'd be up for I reckon they could do a banging My Little Pony movie because uh yeah. That, that was actually a fun show. They could okay. get Paul Verhoeven back. I mean, come on, oh. let's do it. <laughs> um, That's the movie we need. Let's also talk about does anyone actually know what happened in the movie? Because <laughs> in the last 20 minutes, I was saying, I said to uh, the carrier that I remembered the movie kind of ending with the twist of Roxy and Roxy's car crashing. Right. I didn't remember the extra 35 minutes of the twist on twist on twist on twist. I mean, the weird thing is that is every character, so we've got. Jean Triplehorn, we've got Roxy, we've got Sharon Stone, and we've got the, um, the former, so Sharon Stone's like mentor that she hangs around with, um, right. who murdered her family without any explanation. Roxy murdered her family without any explanation. Gene Triplehorn murdered her family and people with no real explanation, and then Sharon Stone is kind of a murderer with no, all of the female characters in this movie are murderers? Yeah, what was your question? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it
2: seems so, to make sense. Yeah, I, the thing
1: it was, about it, hard to follow is, for me is Sharon Stone manipulating all of it. Was she the murderer the entire time? Was did Roxy kill the guy at the beginning? Did Jean Triplehorn stalk what's her face back in the day? You know, I I got to the end of the movie and they they show the uh, the ice pick underneath, and I go, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I think she
3: yeah, and <laughs> is who killed who <laughs> is Sharon Stone a time traveling? writer does she travel back into the past and write the stories of the future what's going on yeah Is I a, it's, a, it's a time cop situation on our <laughs> hands
4: here it could be the plot of basic instinct too I don't
3: know. I'm not going to watch it. So I'll never <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I watch it. then I remember nothing. When they're investigating them. the woman that murdered her family, they're showing Michael Douglas the photos and they're so fucking graphic. Like, yeah. why would I, you need to show that? Like, <laughs> it's just a kid like on the ground with his neck and you're, he's just like, uh, how long do I need to lay here? It's yeah. just, yeah. God, you don't need to like. That's, that's the extra bit of excess that I love so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there were, it did, the last 20 minutes was, was a
3: confusing, confounding amount of well, twist, and then twist, he twist, 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 He goes to her house and she's like, well, my book is done. Get the fuck out.
0: Like, <laughs> I love that and, part. And yeah, it's great. Really You're like, all right. Really he's like, yeah. my research is done. Like, I told he's you. He's like,
2: wait,
3: but the fuck
0: of the century. She's like,
3: yeah. ah. You are dismissed. Exactly. Yeah. Like, get and out. then he's. But then he's reading her book, which is dictating to a T the future of which happens. It's just, how does that, how,
1: how? Yeah. I, yeah. I, and, he, and he goes, he suddenly puts it together. And like, even I'm watching the movie going, what? He starts running at the building and screaming for his partner.
3: Well, because it says yeah. his he runs after his partner in the elevator. It's yeah. like <laughs> insane. Like, it's like, if you've ever seen that uh, John Candy movie, Delirious, where he is, uh, he's a writer who gets a concussion and he wakes up in the, um, the the daily soap opera that he writes and everything he writes then happens to come true. Mm. It's basically just that. Have you ever or seen...
0: It's just kind of predictable how that character would act. And she just spent so much time researching him yeah. to his core, literally, yeah. Yeah. that yeah. she knows yeah. exactly what he will do. It's just like, of course he will yeah, <laughs> write this. And then yeah. he does it because it, maybe he read the book and 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 it's it's he can't even help it he can't even help but do what she says because she's been manipulating him to do exactly what she wanted the whole movie
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: yeah but then you but you get the extra twist where you think it's Gene Triplehorn who's been stalking Sharon Stone's character through college and they had this they hooked up once and she's a lesbian oh no but she did right. stalk right she did this I don't
2: know it's okay.
4: <laughs> yeah the movie ends before like it actually they, like. They, the I thought they were
3: in on it together. Like they both share that exact same story verbatim to Michael Douglas, and even he's like, ah, "It doesn't matter. I had sex with both of you ladies." You know, <laughs> it was it's a real star-making turn by Sharon Stone. So you know, we'd
1: seen her a couple of years before she in in Total Recall with Paul Verhoeven, where she had played another femme fatale, where she yeah. she did that incredible turn of just, suddenly she was just scary and like you know going up against Arnold Schwarzenegger, a literal. Just slab of a human, but you believed her, yeah. and it's like so. I was sort of getting into this that when they were um, looking into sort of you know casting, they were they were going along other sort of like you know even famous names like like Glenn Close and things like that. But is that Michael Douglas was a little concerned about the casting of Sharon Stone that he's like, I need someone to share the risk. You know, I'm I'm getting into this movie, and it could be controversial. I need someone that could sort of take the hit with me um you know well one she steals the movie too it is her movie but three i think this is kind of reflective almost of like the female empowerment of the movie and also just reflective of the time because she got paid five hundred thousand dollars and michael douglas got paid 14 million
0: what didn't wow. even
1: see his
3: dick yeah. <laughs> but the thing Whoa, is like, she,
0: without that without her there is crazy. no movie oh my yeah, god that is horrifying i did Isn't not that? know that yeah. I, yeah.
3: He's
1: talking about wow. share the risk. I'm like, bro, maybe take that thirteen and a half million a million dollars extra and go, well, I'll just drive share my kids with my hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? Oh my God. Right? <laughs> so that's well, like, that's that thing. It's like, because it's weird to think because no one thinks Michael Douglas when they think Basic Instinct. They always think Sharon Stone. I think I we mean, might.
0: I do think Michael Douglas as well, but I don't think that he had, a, I, I feel like without her, that movie wouldn't yeah. be what it was like. Well, it her work. power yeah. drove the movie
2: yeah for sure
0: it's like yeah. it's it's
1: like for example the the juxtaposition of if she is naked in that movie she's not vulnerable other people are i mean it's that that level of she is so powerful even when completely nude that i'm like her character i think is is Just, I think the definitive femme fatale. Like, when we first started talking about it, I'm like, I've never seen a character like that before that is scary. And the looks that she has is like, okay, she's gonna, she's sizing this guy up, or she, she knows this guy inside and out. And the fact that even when she's like being performative, she knows she's being watched. And we really need to talk about the fact that no one locks their doors in San Francisco, but she's changing, but she has. How'd you get in here? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, she has the power while being watched changing. It's a really fascinating thing. But yeah, I was texting, going... Oh, it's three times now someone's walked into a house. Five times, eight times. Carrie, this is getting ridiculous. Like,
0: yeah. San Francisco wasn't that dangerous in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's
3: right, just
0: strolled into is, people's
3: apartments. She is such a predator in this, but she's also, she's incredibly intelligent too. Like, you, yeah. they established that early on that she's got this degree and she's- at a hundred million triple. dollars. She's rich, yeah. she's smart. And she maybe just, killed her parents and wrote a book about
1: it. Who knows? <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, there's that house, man. What a great
3: house. Um, says She has multiple. Benson,
0: yeah. she has a house, which I mean.
3: Two I- Lotuses, two of the same car, one in black, the- one in white. The Lotus Esprit. Oh,
1: what yeah. a car. Yeah. Um, Carmel by the Sea is where that house was. It was set somewhere closer to San Francisco, whereas it's actually about an hour away. But that house, I mean, I was. Also, her outfits. The the fashion. Every time she turns up, she looks like so cool. Because and they have, she's
0: Kim Novak. They're they're trying to make her Vertigo. Yeah. They're trying to emulate the scenes of the windy roads and the, the sets, and they they really want to make her that like. It, there's definitely an homage kind of there. That's awesome.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she looked fantastic. I mean, all everyone in this movie, this movie in general, looked so good. Like the way yeah. it's shot. I mean, you get the scenes where it's it's taking place in her house, and you get like the the same thing they do in Blade Runner—the reflecting of the water on the ceiling and everything. Yeah, the
1: I so was. Cool. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I was I was noticing how often they use that trick, which ge- geographically
3: beam. made very little sense. For how you <laughs> see that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> but it's so often light is being bounced off things, and it's moving, yeah. and it's moving on their faces that I was like, you oh, see this like is-
3: streaks across their eyes. It's it's such a noir take, but in color, you know.
1: Well, okay, perfect time to then let's segue because if we're going to talk noir, let's talk about about one of the greatest. Um, it takes just the classic noir, just detective, you know, trope solve a problem thing, and puts it in to me the greatest production design in the history of ever. I, yeah. you know, so so we'd been watching Basic Instinct coincidentally at the same time. So I texted her that evening when I was a, I was about to watch Blade Runner. And I go, hey, do you want to watch Blade Runner? And text each other, oh my god, this is the best movie ever made five min- every five minutes. Cause <laughs> and I was watching the movie, I was joking with Mrs. just now. Like I was taking notes just now, and I started gushing out loud. That's what I do. I'm watching Blade Runner, going, Oh, this movie's so good. Oh, look at that, that's amazing.
3: Oh, that shot is so good. It's just the, I, 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 the, the iconography and like the, the texture and the atmosphere, like everything about this movie is just I want to. Like, the, the only thing that, that is crazy to me is that people still drive cars in this congested, like, somehow right. LA is less congested now than it is <laughs> in 2019. It's, wow. They fixed traffic. Yeah, You know how they did that? Replicants.
1: That's how they did it. Well, Everybody. that's kind of
0: what we do with the AI taxis now. So it's kind right. of, I, I chose this movie for several, several reasons. Oh. One, because it's one of my all-time favorites, like, when I'm a, I am grew up in the 80s as a latchkey kid, so television raised me. And so I love movies. And when I had to go traveling around the world before there was the Internet and streaming, I brought my camcorder and a tiny little tape that I had recorded Blade Runner on. So whenever I was lonely... Or like sad, or because I was traveling for about a year, I would just like put in some headphones and watch Blade Runner, really tiny on this little screen, because that was my comfort food. The way Ridley it so much expensive. Neuromancer was the first book that I read where I oh, felt yeah. cyberpunk science fiction. And when I with between that and Blade Runner, it was like this. These were these were formative moments for me. So first of all, favorite movie set in L.A. So much. I mean, I feel like I'm giving a bone to a bunch of film nerd pit bulls because like, it's, it's so much to tear apart. Like yeah. this good podcast is going to be like nine hours. Long. I had yeah, to I ask, I, like had to ask Ollie,
3: I had to ask Ollie which cut to watch. <laughs> but I think the first time I watched this movie, I bought it on a, like a bootleg vhs at a garage sale and i thought it was really bold of really scott to like cut halfway in between to show like a little girl's quinceanera I was like, that was really really threw me for a loop <laughs> that's the the unicorn scene that's the theatrical release i believe you're huh. watching um, what's, what's, you the, what's the messaging
1: that? here i say i i watched the director's cut i have the final cut as well um but have you guys ever the differences
3: seen... i think the only difference is the color grading on that
1: uh, there's a couple of scenes. Uh, they also, for the final cut, the 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 actress that is uh, Zora, the 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 lady with the snake, snake lady. yeah. They brought her back 20 years later and recreated the scene. So the scene where she's crashing through the glass in slow motion, I think it originally was done with a stunt lady. That at times you can tell it's not Zora. So they got the actual actress and they recreated that scene. I've watched them side by side. I don't know how they did it. That's the only thing that's different in the final cut, really, apart from there are some micro things. But that scene is shot for shot, recreated, timing, recreated, but they actually took the actress 20 years later and made her do it. That is, Rid- they nuts. say the final cut is Ridley Scott's, the one that he had total control over, whereas I watched the director's cut. Like, so yeah. Carrie, did you watch your version on the camcorder?
0: <laughs> I, I I actually the camcorder is a little dead at this point, so uh, I I did watch the original version though because that's the one that I fell in love with. Um, and I also uh, one of the other reasons that I chose this movie is because it's that fear of technology and AI. And oh, yes. I feel like hey, that is really current of the time right now that we are in the middle of a writer and actor strike because studios want to take actors, scan their bodies, give them one day's pay, and then just make AI versions of them in perpetuity into the background. And it's it's sort of this whole AI slave replicant thing where all of a sudden they rebel. And I I think that that's the fantasy right there is that these background characters are going to rebel and that we're going. Have to kill them all and that human background okay, character Write that down. Write I know, that there down. was a lot of parallels that I'm drawing here. 100. Like, but, uh, but also, I, I, mean, like I that just that uncanny valley, like that we're, yeah. we're crossing. It's it just,
3: just doesn't work so much it's here. Just, I mean, I'm sure it'll, the tech will get obviously better and better, but there's just it's just so lifeless and soulless, and just seeing this movie and seeing all of the practical effects and the miniatures. I was obs- as a kid, I was obsessed with movie miniatures. I love them so much. And even seeing like the polish on uh, on Blade Runner 2049, it was still just missing that tactile feel of this like miniature world that they built for the original. It's, it's, it's
1: like I, the first time if you like, I recommend doing it is is watching, if you ever get the opportunity and you've got a big enough TV and you've got it, is watching like a 4K version of this movie because that opening shot, like, and you're getting into it um, Ryan perfectly, but that opening shot of just Los Angeles and you've got the fire things sort of shooting up and when you get into it, it's a massive miniature. They've got actual lights in that's why it looks so good. Is they're using such a combination of effects that are all real sort of effects. So the the flame goes off and it lights up the the city below it. They've they've thought about it that it just in those first five minutes. I sent a picture of that moment, to Karen. I go, oh look, it's already better than ninety nine percent of all movies ever made, and we're in the first minute and a half.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like that for me is why I love watching Blade Runners. It teaches me that that you know people talk about it is that when you have restrictions restrictions on budget or restrictions on time or just restrictions of the time you are making a movie it forces you to be incredibly creative to sell something to sell an effect and the fact that star wars in 77 with what it did with the death star and with that whole sort of thing and the special effects and the way that things look and then blade runner in 82 there's still two movies that yeah. look better than movies made today when they bust out
3: CGI, it just it's tactile, you can feel it, you can almost smell it. Even when he's down, like when you get down to the gritty, like the street level, all of the signs, all of the grime on the streets, like the people, everything, like every square inch of that scene is just packed with like detail.
1: All the way to the back. Yeah, there's signs and there's things and there's umbrellas or helmets or glasses. At no point do you go, oh, that's a pair of Oakleys you know like the, everything in that movie has just been going how would they do it yeah. and i also kind of yeah. like the you know like uh, carrie you were joking about how it's the future but everyone's got a cathode ray tv you know what i mean yeah but it's but it's, oh, it's, I,
3: it's the but one thing of the aesthetic
1: time. of at some point in our past yeah. these two dimensions diverge. i love that future past tech which i love big I clunky love. buttons. Clunk, yeah, clunk. Oh, give me if a big clunking clap
3: any day. If you've ever watched uh, the show Severance on Apple TV, they do a phenomenal job, and, and Loki too, to a, to the same way. They have this like this tech from the '80s, but it's supposed to be futuristic, but it's still very analog,
2: mm-hmm.
3: like DOS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But my favorite thing as a, as a graphic designer, like when he's analyzing that, this tiny photo, he just feeds it into the thing and he zooms in like a million percent. Right. Like that would be just a tiny pixel. Come on. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it looks so cool. It looks yeah, so
1: cool. That's exactly the thing I, I, I wanted to talk about that. So, you know, we have, uh, what well, the world? Uh, when they think science, they think Carrie Byron. You know, putting the science in science fiction. Yes. Like what? What uh, you know? In Blade Runner, what are the things that you you find dope, cool, awesome, sciencey? What are what? What just gets you excited about Blade Runner?
0: Um, well, for one, I have always been fascinated with the relationship between science fiction and fiction. And I always feel like one drives the other and we invent things that we were inspired by in science fiction, you know, from, from Star Trek to creating our little cell phones that we're glued to now. I, I mean, it's, 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 there was predictions of where we are now, but it's almost like people watch Blade Runner and went, Oh. Let's create more AI. Like it, it's 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 almost a prediction, but so long ago that you you kind of spin the whole movie going, oh yeah, that actually came to fruition. That too. That too. Like mm-hmm. we can clone things. Oh, we can't. We we can do that. We can make human emotions on a robot. And and, and we'll do it right
3: this time. They won't come back and kill us. Like we'll fix the problems. <laughs> James it's Cameron's ridiculous. like, Oh no. Yeah. I,
0: I I welcome our robot overlords right. Skynet. Yeah. We're cool. We're yeah. cool.
3: I mean, I saw
1: I saw a clip from Japan, I think, um, of, you know, kind of like, you know, you get all these Boston Dynamics clips, you know, which really do remind me of Robocop now. But like uh, I saw something that I was like going, oh, my God, that is so Blade Runner that I can't believe they're doing it. But it's research and they're programming their sort of things. And in the background is their robot that they're programming. And it's it's a female robot holding onto a pole. It's like it's literally robot pole dancing. And I'm like. (laughs)
4: <laughs> we're yeah. it's wild that that you know 2019 blade runner
1: 2023 where we are no we don't have spinners flying through the air and we don't have these these mega cities and we're not off world but we are making robot pole dancers and pleasure models and and all this kind of stuff it's wild that so much of technology and science be it like vhs and betamax and it's Blu-ray and stuff. It's always been driven by the most base instinct, the most yeah. basic instinct. Hey, I, I, nice. <laughs> I
3: had a I had a question about the replicants. Obviously, they yeah. analyze them, and there's different the different types. You've got the combat replicant. You've got the guy who can lift heavy things off-world. You have the then you have the pleasure bots. Why are they also just incredibly like powerful? Like well, it's don't also, be yeah,
4: shame. Don't yeah, keep, like, you know. no,
3: no, I'm just saying like. Yeah, they're all independent powerful women, sure, but I mean they're like in, insanely strong, like they could just break a person and like why would a human program that? That's Right. Exciting. And I know it's almost like yeah, they but that's I guess the the the
1: the whole point I guess is they they created the Nexus 6, you know, more human than human. That's the Tyrell way. Um, they've created the Nick six, which is like, they are as intelligent as the people that created them, which seems stupid,
3: (laughs) personally. Again, no, what's the worst that could happen?
1: That's what, well, that's why, I mean, that's that whole, you know, conceit of the four year, four year lifespan, which is like, like Blade Runner is a movie. I'm again, watching it for only the hundredth time and, and I'm watching it going, this is a movie. Just like its sequel, actually, Denny Villeneuve nailed it. But it's like it's a movie that feels like it's moving at glacial pace, but is moving very quickly. Yeah, I, I'm I can't believe, you know, because much like we had the Alaska episode, Ryan bought this movie. It was 90 minutes long. But after 10 minutes, I was hoping it had been 45 minutes. By the time it's 90 minutes, it felt like 10 hours. It's this is the exact opposite is a movie that is just at times. You know, I understand why they made the theatrical version with the the, the voiceover, because there are times that he's just sitting in the car and observing. Mm-hmm. and just. But for me, I'm like just soaking in the, the world. But I just realized that as the movie goes, scene, 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 done.
3: But at no point are you in a rush. Yeah, it's- I always remember to take, like being a long film, and I was even pre- I'm like, all right, right, I'm I'll watch this last. I know it's long and it's a bit slow, but you're right. I mean, it just, it fucking goes. I think yeah. my theory on it was that
1: any sort of classic gumshoe who done it, you know, has the who did do it and it sets up and they have scene, scene, action, scene, action, and then the final we have it. In this case, because he's having to take down five replicants, because one of them got killed. But so that we get all through the movie is him dealing with Leon and him dealing with Zora and him dealing with Pris. So we yeah. get sort of end scene other end scene so I think that's kind of my theory as to why it happens like that is that it's never in a rush but the cool part is he gets he gets to have those moments yeah. over and over again and it builds 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 to that maybe one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen but Rutger Hauer in the rain you know all, it's just gonna all those <sighs> things the things that I've seen the Tanhauser gate and it's gonna go like tears in the rain I'm watching mm. that and I'm I get I think goosebumps every time watching that going that is a movie scene because i always say that movies live forever that's why i love movies but that scene even now thinking about it i'm actually getting tears in my eyes because i think it's just that for me just wow name any other scene more iconic than that I, 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 it's almost impossible <laughs> you
4: know, it yeah funny, i mean you i was, mentioned, I
1: was you ahead, sorry,
3: oh, sorry. <laughs> i was gonna say
4: um funny thing is you mentioned the uh the the detective noir aspect of this movie something i didn't realize till years later and actually my film professor pointed out my film professor worked on this movie um so i have kind of a personal connection he was one of the model builders who uh built the helped build the cars um and something he pointed out to me that i didn't realize is um this isn't a detective movie. there's no mystery he's solving there's no uh, – at no point is he, like, putting any clues together or – he's assassinating these characters. That's all he's doing. Well, he's right. retiring them. He's retiring them. Oh, sorry. I forgot, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the corporate yeah. mandate.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you're right. This opens with, like, the with the text scroll, too, that explains, like, they're called replicants. It says yeah, the whole it's actually thing.
4: Actually, the second movie is, that it is the mystery movie that actually has, like, something to uncover, which I thought is so interesting because I always think of this as Detective Noir – sci-fi but there's no there's nothing he's solving um so i think that also he's kind of solving
0: familiar. himself
4: yeah he's going
0: through he starts out a robot himself where they talk about him as just a cold-blooded killer and he's finding that he's like i can't shoot a woman in the back i know she's a replicant, but i still have that feeling you know he's he's yeah. slowly solving himself and becoming human himself as the robots have become human.
3: But yeah, I, you're right, really and I love all the little bread. You say it's not a detective thing, but I, or a crime noir, but like he's using all of the breadcrumbs to get more information. Like uh, when he's in ter- when he gets to the first replicant, the woman with the snake, he's using using all that information. He's got the scale, the picture, and everything, and then he goes backstage, and Harrison Ford puts on the most insane voice I've ever heard to try and pass <laughs> as. <laughs> a, an offended a journalist? journalist. I'm. i here. One? He's no. He's part
1: of the union. He's making sure no one's being exploited. What voice is that?
3: <laughs> and then halfway <laughs> yeah, through,
0: now it's the nerd, voice, so yeah, I I guess, the nerd voice.
4: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you, you'd be surprised what people will do to see a naked lady. Sometimes they'll walk into the San Francisco house while they're not looking. <laughs> it's <scaring> them. Crazy. <laughs> Have you ever seen Basic Instinct? <laughs> God,
3: that voice. I had to write that down. I'm like, Harrison Ford's sissy voice? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but also, I mean, and we touched on it in Basic Instinct. There is a very similar scene in Blade Runner where. Like, you know, Harrison a Ford's character's been thrown off and he's all over, it. and then Sean, uh, Sean Young's character has discovered that she's not human, she's a replicant as well. And there, there is that scene where it's weirdly, interestingly problematic, of he sort of dehumanizes her and says, You must, you know, doesn't let her leave, and says, kiss me and tell me you love me. And this this whole kind of thing. And it's a scene that like you're watching it. And I think what makes the extra level on top of that is that she actually isn't human. And it's the the whole question of Blade Runner is what does it mean to be human? I think therefore I am, as Pris says, right? And in this case, it's a problematic scene, which has the extra lens on top of it of she's a replicant as well. It's I actually got lost down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to talk about that scene. What do you guys think? (laughs)
0: Same, because he's like trying to maybe prove to himself that she's more human than the robot, or prove to her that she actually is human and it's okay to have those feelings. But at the same time, as a male role, forcing her into that, almost like mansplaining to her that she has to find those emotions. It was, it was a lot to unpack.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's. I was like going,
3: man, that's. This is a really complex scene, guys. What did you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I, that whole that whole dynamic between the two of them, and it's a shame they kind of use that as a through line in the sequel. I don't think they, the, the legacy sequel, I think they could have just done something totally new. But the the whole relationship between them, where he knows she's a replicant, but he's trying to make her more human, and he's still, he, then he tries to rationalize what, or discover whether or not he's a replicant, maybe? Mm.
2: No. I, I like I don't the, that.
1: I don't believe it. Yeah, no, neither do I. I mean, I think the sequel fixes that one. But the other part being is, um, but let's talk a bit more about that scene, though, because it, it hits strange when you watch it, but it doesn't hit strange like the Michael Douglas scene hits strange. Like I said, there's the nuance of it, the science fiction of it makes it almost like a bigger question. And I like, it's almost something that I didn't notice younger because so many movies did it. You know, James Bond, walk in slap a lady have sex you know it's like that's how movies were made back then it's like you watch it now through the 2023 lens and you're like oh man this is the movies we used to watch this is crazy but like yeah. that's the subtlety of that particular scene i find like it's it does it make deckard a villain or not i mean they
0: i mean he he it, it's it's different it's different it, he's they're both struggling, but it's, it, he, he said, kiss me. He didn't base against it. Was, en- yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't Michael Douglas, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a good point too. I mean, he's, he's, he's like got this in this position of power and this is like, he's got this, he's had this job where it's his sole purpose to go out and retire these replicants. And he knows she's a replicant, but he doesn't want to do the one thing he's like, been pro, been programmed to do.
1: Mm. Oh, I love the way you put that. The been programmed as well. Ooh, Ryan, you've gone tickled my little brain there. <laughs> um, let's talk just a little bit. Just let's just gush about the movie. Like, for example, uh, the technique that they used to to whenever someone is a replicant, nice. the light going into their eyes. They they <laughs> would they would bounce very small light off a mirror off camera into the eyes. That like it's ah. Oh. <laughs> I just, yeah. it's amazing i just like this movie the,
3: it looks incredible like and the it's, scenes, it's such the, simple practical work that they did to achieve what still looks phenomenal you know it's
1: the the cinematographer is it uh, jordan Cronenweth. Yeah. um he he won awards for this the thing about it is like and many people regard him as maybe the greatest cinematographer of all time and the thing is i was getting into him and i'm like I haven't seen that many movies. He did Buckaroo Banzai, which I haven't seen. I feel terrible about that. Peggy Sue got married. It's like um, I had to go back in time. and There's so many movies I haven't seen because I was, again, the whole fresh eyes thing, the cinematography in this movie, the lighting, the production design, the camera placement, the the everything of it is, it defines the cyberpunk. It created cyberpunk. It created the science fiction genre. It's been ripped off a million times and never hit it and i'm like it's i guess what we talk about we've talked about it on the show before carrie but the idea of a perfect movie where you know the ferris bueller's of it all but it's the combination of the right director the right writer the right actor the right time blade runner is all of those things but then it wasn't appreciated in its time it's only right. now appreciated by us at this level yeah. decades
4: later and
3: neither was the new one either it just it, that movie didn't perform well like I,
4: it, it's so funny that like this franchise you know e- like every single entry in this franchise whether it be like the movies or like video games or, everything flops like yeah th- these these have never been successful and yet hollywood keeps like well what about another one and thank it's, god like, never made any money Did i not Villeneuve's the son. Best, it keeps coming back. They do it
3: for the hopes that someone with a fledgling movie slash geography podcast will talk about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> Denny Denny
1: Villeneuve's son actually said, "Dad, you've did it. You know, you've made the secret." Sequ- because he was intimidated to do the secret sequ- of Blade Runner. And uh, his son says, "Dad, you did it perfectly. You made a movie that got incredible critical reception and made no money. (laughs) (laughs) You've made the perfect sequel."
3: (laughs) Now he's making. Then he will work on a Marvel movie, and his career is fucking toast.
1: Yeah, he's now he wants to make Dune three. I Denny Villeneuve. I'm like we've talked about trying to do prisoners on the show and stuff like that. That guy, him and Roger Deakins together is is absolutely. Absolutely yeah. magical.
3: um all right guys let's let's get into it because I think it is actually going to get interesting. Well I had one more I had one okay. more thing that guys James Hong is in this movie yes and and, yes. and I was thinking like James Hong could have easily fit into all three of these movies. The man is a chameleon. he looks exactly the same in Blade Runner as he does currently. that's the I, thing I, mm-hmm. I, yes that, that's what threw me off is because clearly he's got
1: aged makeup because it's always thrown me off is that James Hong, my introduction to James Hong was Blade Runner. So then he keeps turning up in movies and now he looks the same as he does in Blade Runner. I'm going, is he a mortal? Is he a replicant? He's
3: a replicant. (laughs) Oh man, shout out to James Hong. If you get a chance to listen to his podcast, Hong Like a Horse. If that's not
2: a real I, podcast. Is that real? No. Oh,
0: oh my God, I was, I, I was putting that on my list. I, oh, I to subscribe. About to subscribe.
3: <laughs> God. That's the shirt. That's the shirt.
4: <laughs> Just James Hong winking and... On
2: oh my God.
1: Um, yeah, well, let's get into it. Like we like to do in this movie, uh, in this podcast, is we try to find the movie that that sort of defines California. Um,
2: oh, you I know, as
1: much as like Blade me. Runner is... <laughs> Blade Runner is amazing. I'm not, you know, is it? Pre- it's predicting the future of California, perhaps. You know, and I, I will, I do something that Blade Runner does about California. I think that Point Break and Basic Instinct do not really do.
3: It says Los Angeles right at the beginning. <laughs> it says Los Angeles.
1: But and also yeah. the idea of multiculturalism. Yeah. So mm-hmm. California, especially, you know, you go to places like Los Angeles, like San Francisco, you go to San Diego, you get parts of that city that, the signs are in Korean. The signs are in Chinese. That it's like you have, you have a real mix of people. That's the one thing that Blade Runner
3: has that the other movies don't have. Right? Well, in in Basic Instinct, they have his cowboy partner. That's <laughs> that's another one right there. Um, in in um, Point Break, you've got a character named War Child, <laughs> and uh, you've got several Nazis.
4: So I think it pretty much covers the gamut of Los Angeles. I <laughs> think got them all. Yeah, I mean. You know, Blade it's Runner... It's a veritable I, melting pot. <laughs> I mean, when I leave my house, I'm, I'm right in downtown LA. Uh kind of looks like Blade Runner a lot of the time. You know, yeah. it's it's only a slight exaggeration. The cars just aren't flying yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It opens up him
1: eating noodles. You know what I mean? I always want noodles yeah. every time he orders those noodles. Ooh, yeah. But like, uh, so let's go. I think though, for me, what's interesting is Carrie has brought San Francisco to the, the party. And basic instinct is dripping in california it is Mm. dripping in san francisco it's not just based in the city you've got you know going across you've got the bay you've got all this kind of stuff the water you've got the other the the house overlooking like so carrie what do you think you know you you're the one that brought this in do you reckon there's more california to basic instinct than there is to point break do you reckon it can dethrone it i'm interested in your opinion
0: well um Unfortunately, someone already picked Point Break um, because I would have done a Point Break gleaming the cube kind of um, (laughs) duo. But since you already did Point Break, I had to find something else. And I went through my whole list of like... Chinatown, and uh, there are so many different movies, but the reason I chose Blade Runner was not because of the elements that you see Los Angeles, even though it is set in Los Angeles, but because I think San Francisco and uh, LA and California in general are steeped in a relationship with technology that is so California we fear it we embrace it we want it to be a part of our lives and make our lives easier but we're also terrified of it taking our place Um, there's there's so much current California in Blade Runner even though it is a dark vision of the future that is the past this is getting very complicated even in this sentence Um, (laughs) I really chose it because of the current climate in Los Angeles right now, yeah. that love-hate relationship with technology, with artificial intelligence, and everything that's going on now, I feel like that's the bigger conversation of what California is. Yeah, you it's just,
3: weirdly, it's very <laughs> right, like. We need to go back to the old days of Point Break is what you're saying. Where where everyone's surfing and skydiving and just having a good time. No one's got a cell phone. No one's replicating each other.
0: I mean, I live in a city that is the beta testing ground for three or four different autonomous vehicle uh, companies. Um, So that like at night, I take a driverless car home. I, wow. I, I, I have an app that unlocks the door. I get in, the car drives with no driver. I listen to whatever music I want. It drops me off at my home. It's now, It feels like the future. Would
3: you feel more comfortable if you had like some sort of Total Recall Johnny Cab? Johnny Cab, yeah. <laughs> in the front spinning around. Like, yeah, well, I mean, would that I, I, that is no. terrifying just saying it out loud. <laughs>
0: no i am actually um i am one of the few people that i i I know it's not a popular opinion but i actually love the autonomous cars that drive me home at night i actually feel very safe with 60 cameras lidar and radar that aren't texting or talking on the phone or trying to have a conversation with me i actually feel like their night vision is better I, I actually feel totally safe in them and I'm part of their learning experience um yeah, this, there's a lot of AI I fear but not the autonomous vehicles. It, it I know sounds it's not like the,
3: this sounds like the opening act to a horror film though it does I, I, know, everything you're saying, I know you're saying you're like, like oh I trust I this car does. with my life. <laughs> There's cameras and see, nothing could possibly happen. It's interesting. I know, I
0: know, I know. I know it's it's a. It, I know it's also very. It's it's. People are uh, on the internet are going to probably you reject can. this hard, but I do like the autonomous vehicle. You want replicants? That's how you get replicants. It, I know, is, I know, I know, I know. It's. Well, the let's beginning. get into that because it's that's it's really
1: reflecting the attitude in Basic Instinct of of the fear because, like Carrie's saying, is. You can also find videos on Reddit, on, on Twitter, whatever, of like in San Francisco, people are, are deliberately messing with these cars. They're putting like cones on them. They're um, creating situations where they start blocking the road. They're reacting against this idea of AI as well. And it's like much like Carrie, you were saying with the writers and the and the, the actors as well, reacting against the idea that AI is going to write a script, that AI is going to be an actor. And it's like, it's the, the techno fear. Oh, man, you've I was gonna dismiss Blade Runner, and you've sucked me back in with this one, Carrie. Is you're so right about the time the time that we're living in, and the fear that Blade Runner is quite prescient. All right, you've made the conversation even more difficult. Now we've got three movies,
0: guys. <laughs> like, well, I, mean, I don't. Uh, so, so I don't. California is very Point Break in its time, whereas Blade Runner almost feels very California now to me. Oh. I feel like the conversation in Blade Runner is more current california now i'm nostalgic for point break days but i feel like we're living in blade runner days so
1: what's interesting to me carrie though is you are you know you are miss san francisco that's that's where you live you love san francisco and 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 basic instinct is all san francisco and you haven't mentioned it
3: (laughs) in the last like we always we always talk about too like okay for point break you can't there's no way you can take la out of that movie it just doesn't work like, would you watch a Point Break if it was set in Miami? Probably not. <laughs> it just doesn't capture that feeling, of that of that vibe in that era. And I think with, to a lesser extent, Basic Instinct. I mean, that whole thing is steeped in San Francisco. It's difficult to picture that taking place in like a Kansas or like, mm-hmm. like any other place. <laughs> yeah. the same thing with Blade Runner. I don't know if you can. I mean, if Blade Runner was set in like Neo Tokyo or something like that, it would still be the same kind of movie. So
0: true. Basic yeah. Instinct. I I think that the reason I chose it is because I, it is very beautiful and the the bay area is ridiculously beautiful san francisco is surrounded three sides by water we have the ocean and the bay and it's in the middle of uh national park with mountains and cliffs and the headlands and uh, marin and half of our city is a park which is bigger i think it's bigger than central park it's a beautiful city it's 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 got pockets of troublesome areas but Overall, this city is gorgeous and it's 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 hard to separate basic instincts oh, yeah. from the setting that she mm-hmm. lives in. Like being able to jump over to Stinson Beach, which is still a 45 minute drive uh, <laughs> only because it's through windy, gorgeous roads through yeah. mountains to get to a beautiful area like the it's it's I feel like physically. Basic Instinct is very California, but mentally, Blade Runner is very California.
2: Oh, guys,
0: this that's, is a this great. Is, this one. is the problem.
3: When we did the first episode, we pit three LA movies against one another, which helped narrow it down. Because California is so massive, it's hard to pick three different movies from three different areas and say this one is the best for all of it. You know, it's that's tough. This is this is why when I pitch this idea to the guys go. Like,
1: I think this is a fun idea because it's so hard to do yes. but now like I said I I thought I knew where I was going with this but the the whole the whole Blade Runner thing that you just brought up Carrie has really thrown me for a loop because it is like if we're talking about the now of it all the what you said about the the point break is the nostalgia of California that's of course it's nostalgia it's the way that it taught me California as an English guy, that's what California was. But that is forever ago. That is like when I was a child and now I am a, I've got my own children. You know, I was younger than them when I saw a point break that, ah, uh, is it now Blade Runner versus basic instinct guys? Like, what do you, what do
4: you guys think? I, I this I'm completely I, up in the air. See, I kind of, I'm kind of siding with carry on the blade runner thing just because, you know, living here yeah. and stuff, it's very much like, Living in silly Blade Runner because, like, instead of like replicants and all this cool stuff, you have like the Postmates robot. Uh, (laughs) But it's still like, which that's what I take around town. I don't order the Uber, I just order a meal home and I just sit on the Postmates robot. The Blade Um, Runners of
1: the future are just gonna be shooting Postmates robots for for delivering to the wrong address.
4: (laughs) Everything they introduce in Blade Runner, it's like there's a lot of things we have today that are like it, but it's all like the silly, like, you know, tech bro version of it that looks <laughs> kind of dumb, but it still exists. And you know, traveling in down, you know, every time I go, just in downtown last night, it, it looks—it's the you know the advertisements, the neon, you know, and all that. It looks very Blade Runner. I go through Little Tokyo all the time, and you see like you know those type of food carts and noodle stands. And you, things fired, like that. you
3: fire down to I World. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which i fucking love that the name of the store is just eye world just <laughs> hey man he makes eyes what do you want him to call it yeah. <laughs> you should have <laughs> called, called it an eye store. store ipad but yeah
4: even like aesthetically and like the feel of it it feels much closer to blade runner like yeah. just around where i live it's just okay. it's kind of part of my daily life okay See, so i
3: want i want it to i want point break to in my vision i want it to encapsulate like that's what my vision of California is, and you're right, it's very much steeped in that time, but you're absolutely right in that Blade Runner is deeply prescient in the, the world we're currently living in, so that's, I'm, I, no
1: I have way. to agree
3: with you. I Are we going you. to do Blade Runner? That's,
1: okay, so,
0: so. Yes, because you could talk about Blade Runner for 95 more episodes. I mean, we didn't even touch it. We should have started with it, because I feel like you need to intellectually choose Blade Runner because of the themes that are running through where we are now and where we are then. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Point Break is, it's in my heart, but I'm going to say knockout.
1: Oh, this is why I love doing this podcast because we always think we know where we're going to end up and we never, like this is, oh wait, are we doing it? Are we agreeing that we're going to pick Blade Runner?
2: That,
0: or am I yeah. manipulating you like Sharon Stone? I know. Like God, you,
3: God, God. Damn I it. Every this time. Is what I'm saying. Every time. Oh, <laughs> Goddamn like, your like feminine wiles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go shoot uh, some let's, tourists. About let's it. get
1: a Voight <laughs> <now>. uh, I, <laughs> I tell you out. I genuinely thought Basic Instinct was going to take it walking in. Um, but we're doing it. Okay, so we're all agreed? I do think we speak?
3: can, We if we pin... Basic Instinct against two other San Francisco movies, it'd be an interesting conversation too.
1: All right. Well, that's the thing is
3: because we'll no, get- Mrs. To the
0: Doubtfire and Princess Diaries? Oh, <laughs>
3: oh there you yeah. go. I was no, going to no. say mem- no. Memoirs of the Invisible Man.
0: I love that
3: movie. <laughs> oh, I think
1: that's an underrated gem. Chevy Chase right there. Um, and so- just
0: for the future, when you actually go into watching more San Francisco movies, I do want to give you a, 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 little, a little nugget is that our mayor Willie Brown would only give permits if he could do a cameo in movies that were shot in San Francisco. So it's kind of fun. He's the Stan Lee of San Francisco movies where all of a sudden you'd be like, why is Willie Brown walking out right now? Uh,
1: He he played Roxy in Basic Instinct. (laughs) 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 Incredible, incredible role. Um, So quite at the absolute 11th hour, Carrie Byron with the the analysis of Blade Runner and our current existence in the world has managed to twist this round. to
3: Blade Runner is I the feel, official movie for California. I feel like a turtle on my back in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my What's God. This is awesome. What's All right. Blade Runner.
4: tortoise.
1: Because now we get to talk about Blade Runner again, and you like, I better believe, Carrie, you're probably gonna have to come back and talk about it some more. Um, all right, so the official movie now for the United States of a movie podcast that represents California until somebody comes up with a movie to dethrone it is now Blade Runner. I'm so excited about that. Um, but one thing we also like to do, Carrie, before we talk about where we're going next week, is talk about the also rans. You did mention it, some of the ones you initially, you initially just intrigued me that your first instinct was gleaming the cube. And I went, oh, I haven't seen that since I was a kid, gleaming the cube, what else? And what what, what other movies that you were circling before you settled on Basic Instinct and Blade Runner?
0: Um, Vertigo, obviously. I was thinking of Vertigo over uh, Basic Instinct, but I thought Basic Instinct would be more fun because everybody's analyzed Vertigo to mm. death. Uh, Chinatown, also very LA. Um, there's everything William Robin Williams did <laughs> here. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty endless. Uh, even Matrix 4.
3: Mm-hmm. I just yeah. watched that again last night. It was so, it's shot. so I'm funny because like, Carrie and oh, I have so the wrong opinion movies. on that
4: movie. I yeah. have the right opinion that that movie's great. I take the blue pill.
1: <laughs> I love Matrix 4. I, I was like, Carrie and I were sort of agree, agreeing that it's like, I like it for the story, but I feel like they should have brought back the Hong Kong wirework work team because mm-hmm. it was the one yeah. thing missing... Oh, crucial.
3: People. No one's picking Alcatraz? Uh Escape from Alcatraz. Escape from Alcatraz. The, the Rock. rock. That's it. How did we, we not about do the Rock?
2: Oh. Well, we talked about
3: it doing our first episode, going into it. I think it was the one of the first movie like all of us picked. Yeah. But then mm. we there's just so many. There's I know. So, yeah.
1: so many. That's that God bless California for that. Um yeah. all right, so there it is. So uh we picked Blade Runner as the official. We've talked about the also runs, uh, guys. I was inspired this morning um, about where we're gonna be going uh, next week it's an exciting one it's gonna be a good one I think it's also gonna be quite introspective we're gonna to go to the state of Wyoming next week so so oh I see even Carrie's interested but yeah get your thinking caps on uh, think about um, where or what movie you think is gonna to, gonna to fit into Wyoming for you I've got I already, I already know what you're picking uh, <laughs> I think son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll let you have it because I've got another one as well um, but uh, until then I um, Carrie, uh, how can? Comp- what are you up to right now? What are you getting into? What What do you want to promote while you're on the show? If anyone can uh, be, like, you know, wants to, f- to follow you or find you,
0: I don't need to self promote. I'm here for the movies, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay well okay this is like basically you're gonna become the fourth host of the show then um yeah you can find me online ollie underscore Pettico. uh you can also find me as that englishman in texas you can find will he's entitled millennial online uh ryan is a mystery person that's behind you at all times it doesn't exist anywhere um also this is our first episode that is debuting on youtube uh so thank you if you're actually watching this. what <laughs> Uh, the oh, previous shit. four episodes <laughs> will be getting uh, released there as the week goes on, and so we're going to start doing them at the same time. Carrie, can we just say thanks so much for joining us? Thank you for br- bringing such great movies, but also fantastic analysis. And you have an open invite anytime you want to join us and talk movies. You are you are welcome because it was a treasure.
0: Oh, I, I will be coming back. Find me on the socials. How about that? Absolutely, my- find Carrie by Are you have, have you been have you been unhacked on Twitter yet? Oh my god, creepy enough! I was about to walk in to the X headquarters, and suddenly, my account was accessible.
1: AI man, the replicants were back. <laughs> we're back to Blade Runner. We're going to have to talk about this oh, at another man. time. Uh, Carrie, you've been a treasure. Ryan, um, Will, thanks so much as always of for course. being awesome to talk movies. I can't wait to figure out where we're going in Wyoming. But most of all, to anybody at home who's listening or watching, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the United
2: States of a Movie Podcast.